Before Father Joseph's next lecture, I wanted to follow up the, the thread that was found in the last question before the break about law. It's important for us to remember that the Catholic Church embraced the principle of religious freedom for the individual only in the 1960s. The famous Archbishop Marcel Lefebvre, who led a community of priests into schism in the society of Pope St. Pius X, did not object at Vatican II first to the document on liturgy. We think of the traditionalists as being chiefly concerned with liturgy. He objected first to the document on religious freedom, Dinitatus Humanae, which was shaped in large measure by an American, a Jesuit priest named John Courtney Murray, who was reflecting the distinctive uh, filtering of the Catholic faith in the American experience. In this way, the American Revolution has a different relationship to Christianity than the French Revolution or the Russian Revolution. So this is, in our long history, a very new idea. At the same time, we have within the United States different systems of law. You and I live under the laws of the federal government and the state government and the cities and counties in which we live, but the men and women in the armed forces live under the Uniform Code of Military Justice. It's a completely parallel, self-contained legal reality within and for the United States of America, but the administration of justice under the Uniform Code is fundamentally different than it is for civilians. We do not regard this in any way as an imposition on our legitimate freedoms or dignity. In fact, in many ways, it's the guarantee of those. The church has her own system of law, canon law. And for many centuries, in many places, canon law had effect in what we would now call the civil realm. So, for example, even today in the Code of Canon Law, there are canons that permit a tribunal established by a bishop to try any sort of case, including what we now think of as those that belong inherently to civil law, like theft or even murder. And for the tribunal to make a judgment that is binding in law, and if necessary, to impose a penalty. Most recently, we saw in Rome journalists being tried by a Vatican tribunal and facing the possibility of imprisonment in the Vatican jail. We don't think of the Pope having a jail, but he does. And it's because of this uh, constantly evolving relationship between religious and civil authority and the role of law in both communities. All of which is by prelude to saying this. We may object to many of the provisions of Sharia, like thieves losing hands, or women who have been raped being stoned for committing adultery. We may object to those provisions, but the theoretical idea of law 
even religious law binding all citizens is not something which the gospel requires us in itself to reject. The long trajectory of the West reflects our own internal struggles. Think of the conflict between King Henry II and Thomas Becket. And more than anything else, it's the wars of religion in Europe between Catholics and Protestants that led to the constantly evolving understanding of law that we now take for granted in the church. Meaning whatever else we're going to rush to confront Islam about, that should be approached quietly and cautiously because of our own history. Just for your consideration. And now the main event, once again, Father Joseph. I want to speak about a very technical term, and that is the inspiration. And not the inspiration in its uh, philosophical, if you want, uh, dimension, but it, in, in its relation to the theme of violence. Before that, there are two points. One was evoked by uh, Mr. Nielsen, and uh, uh, I want to uh, explain a little bit that. Islam reached dimensions that are, until today, incomparable with any other idea of religion. Islam, in very few decades, went from a religion in the south of Arabia to a religion that covered all North Africa, big part of the east of the Middle East today after Iran, Afghanistan, and reached Indonesia in maybe one or two centuries. The expansion of Islam is phenomenal. And yet, Islam is not a missionary religion. The two reasons for the expansion of Islams are jizya and kiraj. This, these are the two taxes imposed, and they are the reason of the expansion of Islam. Jizya and kiraj are the two taxes upon those who refuse to join Islam. Islam, when went to a city, they went immediately to the silos of the city, declare the city Muslims, Islamic city, and you have two categories of citizens, Muslims and you have non-Muslims, those who refuse to join Islam. The prices, especially of wheat, were totally different for Muslims and non-Muslims. Muslims, Muslims paid a price that is maybe half of the other of, of, of what others pay, plus the two taxes upon the number of the, uh, uh, the, number of the family and the, uh, the, the, the property. These are the two taxes plus the price that led many people who were poor after one generation, two generations, to join Islam in order to live, you know. 
That is the main reason of the expansion of Islam that, once again, is not a, a missionary religion. There is another point. You have always to examine the founder of a movement of a religion. Why? Because the relation between the founder and the followers always, it's a sociological law, is imitation. Followers imitate the founder. And the founder of Islam ended his life by head of state. The founder of Christianity ended his life by being killed by a state. That is why a Muslim today trying to engage politically, you know, Islam and in the name of Islam, going politically, he is imitator of his founder. While in Christianity, the moments where Christians, the head of the church, were very politically involved, were the darkest moment in the history of the church. Why? Because they did not imitate the founder who was killed by a state. You have a founder who ended his life head of state. And from that moment, being politician, being like Khomeini or Khomeini, is being more imitator of the founder. While in the other case, being very politician, being a little bit far from the imitation of the founder. These are very important points that is really governed today's movement in Islam. I want to speak about the inspiration and the inspiration of the holy books uh, of Christianity, Judaism, and Islam, and how there is a relation between the notion of inspiration and violence. Let us start by Christianity. In Christianity, the books of the New Testament are inspired. But is everything in the books of the New Testament is inspired? The temptation, temptation is to say yes, no. It is, not everything is inspired. What has to do with our salvation is inspired. But there are, in the New Testament, things that have nothing to do with our salvation. Let me give you an example. If you go to Timothy, the first letter of St. Paul to Timothy, page, uh, sorry, chapter, chapter uh, um, 5, verse uh, 23, you will see, don't drink any more water. Use a little bit of wine for the sake of your stomach and your frequent ailments. Okay. If you want to make of this inspired, all the Christians will be alcoholics. You know? you know? So this is not inspired. But when you go, for example, to the Acts of the Apostles, you go to the Acts of the Apostles, in chapter 2 of the Act of the Apostles, you have this sentence. Chapter 2, verse uh, 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 36. Let all the house of Israel therefore know, know, uh, uh, know as surely 
assuredly that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. That is the end of the discourse of Peter. Let all the house of Israel know that the, the one you crucified, God raised him and made of him Lord and Christ. All this sentence is inspired. You see the difference between this sentence and please drink a little bit more of wine because you have problem with your stomach. You know? So there is in the New Testament this variation when you speak about the inspiration. And this variation is very simple. There is a human element that exists in the New Testament. And this human element, we give it, you know, its independence. And we don't, you know, put it at the same level of fundamental realities of the Christian faith. There is another moment when St. Paul gives uh, the law for widows, you know, and he said while giving the law for widows that uh, 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 he is not giving something coming from God, he's just giving his own ideas. He's giving, and, 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 and one uh, uh, in 2 uh, Timothy, in 2 Timothy, please, when you come back, to, to see me bring my mantle and my parchment with you. Okay, you know. You know, so you have in the New Testament elements that are totally outside the inspiration. When you go to the Old Testament, the, 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 uh, the inspiration notion becomes stricter, stricter than the New Testament. Almost everything, it was not being said, but almost everything is inspired. And there are mistakes in the, uh, in you, uh, in the Old Testament. So there are grammatical mistakes. It's very difficult to say a grammatical mistake is inspired. You, know? it's, uh, you have a grammatical mistakes. You have, from time to time, difficulties with letters. Some letters are similar. You know? And we have difficulties of reading some words. And uh, in Judaism, even today, there are corrections to these mistakes, but never inside the text. The corrections are outside the text, at the margin, at the margin. So there is a reference for the text without saying that the text is totally inspired because there are mistakes and there are corrections. You know, but it's much stricter than the Christianity. In Christianity, there are passages you say that is not, not that is not our time. Saint Paul is, is mortified when he saw a woman coming to the synagogue uh, to the assembly with her head uncovered. Okay, big deal. You know, uh, <laughs> you know. So that is the mentality of Saint Paul. You know, reverent mentality of, of St. Paul, uh, everything you want, but you know, that is not the essence of our religion. These are secondary points. I'm not against that, but it is not the essence, the essence of our religion. And you have the, the Judaism, and Judaism, once again, a little bit stricter. The one who formulated that, you know, the most is Maimonides, that is the 12th century. And he really decided that there is a reverence for the form and the meaning, but he stopped from saying that they are 
inspired. When you go to Islam, it is very strict. The form is inspired, the meaning is inspired. And so you go from Christianity where you have a human element that is independent and you may put aside, and you reach Islam where nothing is to be put aside. That is extremely important. Why? Because if it is the word of God given to Muhammad, and Muhammad compared himself to a pen, and he said, like a pen does not think, but a pen in a servile way put in writing what the hand of the author, you know, decide, what, what the author decide, what his hand draws, you know, on the, on the paper. That, it's like he compared himself like that pen totally passive, receiving ideas from God, putting them in writing or dictating them, you know, without any modification. The form totally inspired, the meaning totally inspired. And this, if you really go technically, if I, I philosophically even, this is probably the most, most, uh, important reason for violence today. Why? Because if at the 7th century someone was being declared enemy and if this declaration that this person is enemy is written in the Quran and if the Quran is the word dictated to Muhammad by God without any modification, the word of God being forever, this enemy will be forever. That is the difficulty. The difficulty is when a writer writes, inspired by God, because of the human element, you situate the writer in his century. And you say this element, you know, belonged to that century. And you may put aside this element because you are not anymore in that century. So the more you have the human elements, the more you can work with the text, saying what belongs to you today and what belongs to the time of the writer. When you say it is God who said all that, you cannot say that God said the Quran or dictated the Quran only for the seventh century. When God speaks, it's for all the times, for all the generations, for all the centuries. Even in the Bible, even if it is the word of Jesus Christ, the man from Nazareth, whom you put to death, God raised him and made of him Lord and Christ. This is forever. This is forever. Because it is totally inspired by God. But the wine and your stomach and things, they say, this is the mentality of Paul, this is what he thinks, and that is at his time. So you may put, you may, you may develop, you may adjust, you may put the text in its context, you know, and take what is necessary for you if you give the text 
if you give to, to, into, into the text a place for the human element. There is nothing as a human element for the Quran. So the Quran is forever. The problem of the Quran is that it is also a book of war. There are enemies in the Quran. The enemies are three categories, either Jews or Christians or pagans. Okay. So these are the three enemies that are mentioned in the Quran. And since the Quran is the word of God, these enemies are forever. You have, you have to understand. Uh, this, is, this is incredibly, you know, the, 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 the Islamic theology is incredibly imprisoned by this notion of inspiration. That is when you speak about the enemy. You can speak, for example, and I do that a lot in my, in my classes about Islam, about the legislation, legislation of the family, for example. You may get married with one, two, three, four. Okay? Plus what your right hand possess, which means you, that, is, that, that, that is the clause dealing with the concubines. Okay? And now there are states, Islamic states, who really want to get rid of, they cannot. Say they put difficulties. You, you get, if you want to marry the second wife, there is one country said, the first wife must agree. And after that, there are, you, you may have a, a house for each of the four wives. You know, all kind of difficulties. But they cannot say, you cannot marry four wives. Why? Because it is written. And if it is dictated by God, you cannot say that this, is belong, this belongs to the 7th century. And it belongs to the 7th century. Why? Because in the 7th century, you have, between the tribes, you have war. Who is the one conducting the war? The men. And you have incredible disproportion between men and women maybe four, maybe two, five, maybe six times more women than men. And that justified the polygamy at that time because of this disproportion. Now, you are in another society. And in this new society, you do not have this disproportion. We do not have this kind of uh, relation between tribes going to war all the time. You know, We don't have that. But you just cannot get rid of this idea you can have for women. Why? Because God dictated that. God dictated that. So you see the notion of inspiration. It's extremely important, extremely important today when it comes to the relationship with others. The Jews will always be the enemy. Will always be the enemy because it is mentioned in the Quran. Now, why they are the enemy in the Quran? Because they mocked Muhammad, and they mocked him a lot. And he was so angry, they belittled him. You know, and they mocked him really, really. And uh, their mockery was very, very tough, you know. Uh, and uh, he has this animosity against them. And that will stay forever. Why? Because it is written in the Quran. Now, all the Quran, Mind you, if you are putting 
if you are studying the Quran from uh, another, another, uh, not from the faithful Muslim, uh, you know, uh, point of view, if you are studying the Quran, you will realize that all the Quran practically is to justify the uh, behavior of Muhammad. And there are things that are incredible in the Quran. And actually, his youngest wife, uh, Aisha, was very young, you know, Aisha, the one who married him, and uh, he lived with her nine years. He, he married her uh, um, eight. Uh, he married her at the age of nine, and he he, he died when she was eighteen. You know, she, when she was eighteen, she mocked him. She mocked him because she said, "Whenever you have a difficulty, God is dictating you a verse, and we cannot say anything." It's God who is dictating you. Who, 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 who are we to say anything? So in the Quran, you have, uh, you have the really uh, uh, apologetic of the behavior of Muhammad. And his behavior belongs to his time. And belongs to his time in a very particular way. Because not all the men in his time have such, such a, uh, you know, a drive for power and for sensuality. You know. So you have this behavior codified in the Quran. The animosity that he had against the Jews is codified in the Quran. The despise that he had against the Christian. A Christian were not enemy. He was much more despising them. Why? Because the Jews were organized, were tribes. They had a very powerful commerce. You know, they have a, a, a sector in the uh, commercial life that belongs to them, and that is dealing with metals. The Christians were very sectarians, Nestorians, all kind of Arianism, uh, Christianity was there, you know, and they were not organized. They were not tribes. There were five tribes in Medina when Muhammad was the head of Medina. So his animosity against the Jews was much more pronounced, and you have that in the Quran, and that became eternal. Why? Because he succeeded to put in the Quran, he succeeded to present the Quran as the word of God. It, 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 is, it is laughable when you study the Quran and you say it is the word of God. There are, so, there are mistakes in the Arabic grammar. There are mistakes in the names. There are all kinds of mistakes, you know. But today, when you speak about these things with Muslims, and the Muslims going back to the idea that this is the word of God, you know, well... If you have something against that in the Bible, that means your Bible is falsified. That is, that is their answer. And they had created all kind of ideology that Jews and Christians falsified the Bible. Why? Because the Bible does not agree with the Quran. Given the fact that the Quran is the dictated word of God, if you are against, it is you who is wrong, you know. So this is, this is today very important. It is very important to realize that the idea of having power, taking power, 
is a very Islamic idea. I liked a lot, you know, uh, uh, the idea that when when Tim spoke about that Islam is is a, a religion of state. Islam is a religion of state. If Islamic minority is in a country, theologically, I'm not saying that this is the case of all the people, theologically is waiting in order to take power. Why? Because Islam as a religion cannot thrive other than in a state when Islam is the only religion. How can you impose ideas about marriage, about inheritance, without having the law in your side. So you have to have the law, you have to have the politic, you have to have the power in order to impose, because the precept of Islam, a majority of the precept of Islam are social precepts, requires laws, requires that the city, the state, you know, apply these laws. This is the case you know, for all these militant that wants to be politically first taking power, they are true imitators of the founder. Don't ever forget the founder is ended his life a head of state. And that is why that is why the animosity that he had with his enemies is forever. The question between Israel and the Palestinians, one day or the other, in our life or the, or the, in the life of our great, great grandchildren, you know, that will be resolved. But the Jews will stay the enemy. And they were the enemy. And when he lived in Medina for 20 years, he eliminated one tribe after the other, after the other of the Jews. There were five tribes. And the last one, he killed all the men. And he gave their wives and children as spoils to his soldiers. And so you have these events. And these events are mentioned and glorified in the history of Islam. And you cannot, if you are imprisoned in this notion of inspiration, you cannot go beyond, beyond that. You really cannot go beyond accepting Jews and Christians. All this is, and Muhammad said it, Muhammad said it, and it's much more in the hadith. The hadith is incredibly important and uh, incredibly also neglected in the research about Islam. You know. But the violence in Islam is really something embedded in the foundation of Islam. Now, you cannot say all the Muslims are violent. There are good people. And I personally always say I attack the foundation of Islam out of love for Muslims. Because once again, if I go back to my comparison with communism, you know, out of love for the communist population, you know, we were attacking in the West, attacking the communist empire. And at the end, they were the beneficiaries. And I, you know, look forward to that day when the Islamic uh, Muslim woman Muslim women, for example, be freed, be free. Because we speak about the violence, when we speak about the violence, we speak about Jews, we speak about Christian, 
uh, pagans, but the most difficult violence, you know, uh, to bear uh, today in, in, in Islam is the, the, the violence inside the Islamic family. The violence inside the Islamic fa family is incredible. The women are, the women are described by Muhammad like mentally and religiously inferior, inferior. And if you go to chapter three, verse 34, you will see even, you will see the advice for a husband how to beat his wife. Now, you may always say, hey, this is the seventh century. People were crazy in the seventh century. You know, that is the, but no. That is not the seventh century, because you know that is dictated by God. Muhammad despised women. You know he was a very sensual man, but he despised women. And you have both elements in the Quran: the sensuality, allowing, and there are many other things. You know, I really don't want to go there, including including how, uh, a way of making love, you know, you know, including that, you know. And you have, and you have also, uh, you have the, the, uh, the other side, his uh, uh, despising women by punishing them, allowing the husband to do whatever uh, he wants. You may say this is the seventh century. And actually, without saying it, the majority of Muslims not practicing it, not doing it. Respectful people, righteous people, I know that. I know that, you know. But because they are not applying. So there is a way today for the majority of Muslims to say, not to say, not to practice these things. Staying Muslim, insisting on the good things, the prayer, the submission to God, the solidarity between Muslims, uh, the love between Muslims, each others, you know, insisting on these positive and forgetting or putting aside these second elements. That is the majority of Muslims. It is not by decision, but life is against them. I still remember in 2002, I was invited in, in, in Washington in, in, in John Paul II Cultural Center, and they said, what will stop Islam, what will stop the legislation of Islam to, to impose its article, you know, with the risk of despising women, despising foreigners, despising... And my answer was, and still is, daily life. The daily life will stop. You cannot say Muslims... Uh, 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 women are inferior mentally and religiously. You just cannot say these things anymore. In our daily life, there is equality, period. And all these articles, you know, again is that human rights against them, you, they will die. These articles will die, will not be applied. Now, how this lead to violence? Because there is a fraction of the Islamic society that will say, no, we have to take Islam totally. And these other articles that are neglected should be respected also. Why? Because, and they are coherent, this is the word of God. 
If, it is, if you say it is the word of God, you are not going to put category, this part of the word is good, this part is not good. And they are incriminating and attacking these other Muslims who, given the daily life of our universe today, they just cannot apply these articles. So you have these fanatics. And these fanatics are, between you and me, much more coherent and much more, you know, religious because they are taking the totality of Islam according to the teaching of Muhammad. They according to the and these are these are the Muslims who are who are the terrorists, what we call, who are killing much more in the other category of Muslims. Their founder the theologian that founded the, all that is Ibn Taymiyyah, a man from the 14th, 15th century. You know, Ibn Taymiyyah, who is the first theologian who justified the killing of another Muslim. When another Muslim, when a Muslim does not, does not abide by the totality of the revelation, he considered him, he considered him as a pagan. And the pagan either obey, either obey and being zimmi uh, or being citizen second category or being killed. I take back. Zimmi is a Christian or, 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 or Jewish. You know, the pagan is either becoming Muslim or being killed. The Dhimmi are those category of non-Muslims allowed to live in Islamic society, and there are three, Jews, Christian, and a group that is disappearing. There are a few thousand called the Sabians, the Sabians, you know. But the, the pagans are either accepting Islam or to be killed, you know. And so this theologian, and this is the theologian of the Wahhabi movement, of the Wahhabi movement. Muhammad bin Abdul Wahhab, that is the founder of the Wahhabism, who based his theology on Ibn Taymiyyah. Ibn Taymiyyah is the theologian, and Ibn Taymiyyah today is the theologian, the most read, you know, the, 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 and, and you can buy his books uh, in the United States, you can buy his books, and I bought his books from here, from here, you know. And he is the theologian, and he is being taught in this school in Washington. I, 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 said, I spoke about it yesterday. You know, he is the first theologian who said, you cannot put category in the inspiration because the inspiration being totally by God, you have to accept it totally. So this is the difference between, why this is very important? Because kill your enemy is a sentence you can easily find, not easily, but you can find in the Old Testament too. How is it possible that a Jewish man and a Christian who reading the Old Testament, reading this sentence, kill your enemy, does not kill the enemy, does not go and kill? And how is it possible that the same sentence written in the Quran leads to people who are killing? The difference is, in the notion of inspiration. 
In the Old Testament, we can say easily it belongs to a time. It belongs to a time that is not our time. There is a, there is a, a study, there, are, there, there is a study at least, and, and there, are, there is reflection about the violence in the Bible. The violence in the Bible is another category than the violence in the Quran. The sentences could be the same. Why? Because the violent scenes in the Bible, especially chapter 32 of the book of Exodus, when Moses coming from the Horeb, he saw that his, his people are worshiping the golden calf, he asked the Levite to kill, and the Levite killed from their own families. They killed 3,000 people. Okay, and that is a terrible text because that is 32 of, chapter, of, of Exodus. That is after 20. And what do you have in the 20? Chapter 20, you have the Ten Commandments. Don't kill. You know, don't kill. And you have chapter 32 who's saying, kill and the Levites killed. But if you know that this chapter 32 was written... 600 years after the event, that the writer was not a reporter. He was not describing something happening to him, seeing it. He was reflecting, reflecting 600 years later on an event. You will understand this, these violent texts differently. None of them was written, none of them, by a, a reporter. All by a writer who came centuries later. Why, if we take this violent text of 32, why he wrote that? Because six, seven centuries later, when we reach the time of the exodus, not the exile, the exodus, that is deportation to Babylon, you know, people were starting to doubt the purity of the liturgy. So a writer wrote, answering them, answering to say that the liturgy is pure, that don't be afraid to come to the assembly because the liturgy is faithful to the legislation of Moses, you know. So this writer, while answering his contemporaries, took an event of the past and described this event of all those who polluted the liturgy in the time of Moses were put aside. He composed a story. It has a a nuclear, uh, 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 it has a, a base in reality, but he composed a story to tell the people of his time that the liturgy is pure. So he wrote a story in which all the impure elements are being uh, disseminated, you know, and you have this story. None in the Old Testament, no violent passage was written by a reporter seeing the event, by a, it was written by a theologian answering questions of his time, using events of the past, coloring them in a way to answer the, uh, uh, the people of his time. So in, uh, the Quran is different. The Quran is by Muhammad at his time by one person. 
You have hundreds of, of persons composing, I mean, wrote, writing the Bible, all the New Testament, you know, passages belonging to this author, this author, and being collected by, 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 by uh, editors, you know. You have hundreds of, of, of authors. In the Quran, you have one person witnessing the event, describing the event. It's a reporter. It's a reporter. And putting these events. Now, why did he put all that in a divine status? Why he did give all that a divine status? Why did he said it is the word of God? Between you and me, that was the only way. The only way that he would not be questioned that he would not be questioned. There are people who question Muhammad. For example, Muhammad said, when the Jews were attacking him, uh, uh, the, the, give, give us a miracle. And he said, the Quran itself is a miracle. Look how it's clear. Look how it's, and I challenge anyone who can write, who can write as beautifully as the Quran. Well, two poets, accepted the challenge. They were, they were killed. They were killed. And be why? Because the answer was, how can you challenge the word of God? You are, you are asking to, to challenge, you know? No, you cannot challenge the word of God. You know? So this is the story. The story is his love, his enemies, his environment, his exploit, all being put in a stat in a, a divine status in order to avoid any critique and for his life as i told you putting his life in a kind of a divine sphere avoiding to any, any any critique any critique so these this notion of inspiration is if you analyze the most fundamental hidden reason for today's violence. And this, I have to say, because of people who are taking this notion coherently and they are not accepting what the majority of Muslims are doing, putting aside, putting aside all these bizarre ideas, violent ideas that are against the dignity of human dignity and against our simple daily life. So I hope by at least this notion of, of, of inspiration, I hope that uh, you, know, you, you can see the difference because from time to time, and you have it today, you have two things. You have, when you discuss with the Muslim, your texts too are violent. You know, and, they to, and they tell you about things that are violent, uh, about the people killed, the, the, the prophets, and things like that. You know, your texts are too are violent. There is a difference. There is a, between the same sayings, you know. And from time to time, you have a Christians who are a little bit with inferiority complex. We are also having our difficulty why we are criticizing. No, there is difference. There is a difference. Thank you very much.